0: the red flag
1: flying here and welcome people to political unmuted um first things first paul which number is this i've have been um outfit what number are we
2: 77 which is i, I kind of like the number 77 uh given that it's multiplied it's a multiple of two primes so yeah
1: it's okay the only thing that was 77 is that you'll all be blowing your own trombone this week not your, your your own trumpet uh so that that's the only thing i can think about that it's just great to see you everybody um and so that, uh, I know that there'll be lots of people joining us on podcast and and all those people who are joining us live. I've got Tim and uh, Mia and Neil. Chris Hood. it's so good to see you. Um, Welcome to Political Unmuted. Uh, Thank you um, to the team for giving me time to be um, off. um, and uh, time to grieve um um, but i'm back and mainly because the people who stood in for me were just too damn good and uh (laughs) sort of because uh, I I, i became worried that they'd be changing their mind about letting me come back so thank you for letting me come back and i welcome to the table um four great players of the game Four political pundits of absolute perfection. Paul Daly, hello, Paul. Hello. He's the boss, really. Um, Samantha Townsend, hello. Hello. She's the, she's the important one, really. Um, Stuart, hello. Hello. He's the insightful one, really. And Jane. Hello hello james are too perfect for me too perfect there we go so it's lovely to see you all and um uh, what have i got to say i just think we just go with the flow Before I start that moment of the week, I forgot the important thing. Laura's not feeling well uh, to, tonight. It, it's, it's, it, this is a huge blow uh, and sort of so give her all our love Paul and uh, just tell her that we, we miss her terribly as well. Um, Sam, what was your moment of the week?
3: I uh listened in to a Westminster Hall. This is my exciting life. <laughs> I listened in to a Westminster Hall debate on school buildings today. Um, which was actually harrowing. The the MP for York spoke about a school um in her constituency where children were actually playing in the sports hall and their feet went through the floor. The the school building is so poor. Um it's going to cost them sixty odd thousand pounds just to repair that, and even more to to actually fix the whole floor. Terrible, terrible, terrible stories. But I couldn't help thinking, why didn't my MP do that? And I haven't checked yet. I looked and I couldn't see her, and I will double check on Hansard. But I don't think she even attended the debate today, despite the fact that literally the the school in my town is being closed, partly because the building is is in such poor repair. And you'd think she'd want to make that point, but apparently not.
1: I mean, I was listening to that, Sam, and the lady on the uh, the minister or the person they send, who was the, the sort of junior minister, sort of was saying that um, there's um, lots and lots of schools in need. And and she told Mary Foyer that you're, you'll be pleased to know you're... you're Uh, school is in the mix quote no promises just in the mix which means Mm. it's going to go somewhere else but um sort of what you're telling me is that your MP hasn't even got your school in the mix as far as we know
3: it's even worse than that to be honest we've had we had a meeting with her um and she sort of actually agreed that she'd been pretty poor on the issue and said we agreed a bunch of actions that, and she hasn't come back on any of them so it's just so poor that not only is it not on her radar she's like clearly willfully ignoring the whole situation.
1: I think we need more of the I mean uh, you know I wish they were Labour but if they're going to be Tories these red wall MPs really need to up their game. I mean, they need to hold the government's feet to the fire about this levelling up. Mary Foy was quite good about that. You can't talk about levelling up and then let our children be educated in schools, which um, uh, their feet are going through the floor. So it reminds me of a time I was driving down in a very old car and we had no money. And my daughter said to me, I can see the I can see the road. Through. I can see that so we stopped, and the, the 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 two feet of my chair my my had gone through the, the the floor of the car, and the, the sort of um, and, and we could see the road, um right anyway um a bit
4: of welding sorted that. Uh, Stuart, your moment of the week. Uh, mine arrived a, a couple hours ago. I've received a parking fine. Uh, because I I attended a Labour Party event and I've got a parking ticket from the Labour Party's car park. Uh up in Newcastle. So my moment no. of the week is i gonna contact the regional organizer and seeing if this can go away.
1: I know I, I know that Keir Starmer's getting fairly desperate for um for money. Did you see that thing on Squawk Box where he's um sacked a whole load, he's sacked 90 members of staff and he's asking uh, Labour members to do the, the work voluntarily. We're going to talk about the p and <laughs> they're employing cheap Labour, but the Labour you know, the Labour Party wants to employ zero pay to, uh, people to do those jobs. Um, but um, uh, charging you, uh, uh, fining you for parking in a car park to attend one of the um, meetings, it's going too fast, Stuart, put your foot down. But not in a York school. Um, uh, Jane, what's your moment of the week? Now I don't understand what you were talking about when you told me about it. I just didn't understand a word of what you were saying. So can you translate while you're going along, please?
0: So it's um it's gosh or the Great Ormond Street Hospital. The cleaners there they've been campaigning to go on to full nhs contracts because they're outsourced so they weren't getting paid on social hours they weren't getting paid overtime and they've just won their campaign um represented by the uvw union and so uh, that made me really cheerful because you don't get a lot of good news nowadays no. That's wonderful. Yeah. What does
1: UVW stand for?
0: Oh, see, I should have written that down, and I haven't. So, yeah, but
1: don't worry, Tim Dredge will tell us. Tim, yeah. can, can you see? He's, he's he's on the on the chat. Uh, UVW Union—they're obviously very good. Wonderful to hear, and 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 how wonderful to have some good news for a an awful week. And Paul, what's my moment of the week?
2: Um, so I'm going to continue the habits of a lifetime and have two because one of them is my T-shirt. So here you are, John. <laughs> um, and It's already been mentioned by, um, oh, who was it in the chat? It was Ruth in the chat mentioned how much she liked it because she spotted it when I was trying to like, oh, sorry, trying to fix this thing here. Um, but uh, yeah, so m- my real moment of the week is uh, the fact that, you know, we've this feeds into the, the opening big story everyone's kind of really realised how important it is to support refugees, they've kind of realised what a refugee is and that's someone who's escaping war, has to flee a country to, for their own safety um, but in spite of all that, in spite of the fact that people are opening up the homes for Ukrainian refugees to come to the UK um, the Conservative MPs including my MP, including the vast majority of Conservative MPs have voted to offshore refugees. Um, They don't know where this is going to be. I don't know if it's going to be in Fort Boyard or something like that. It's going to be like some island in the middle of the ocean that's going to cost them two million per refugee or whatever. It's going to cost an absolute fortune, whilst also being utterly, utterly inhumane. Um, And they voted that through in the current context. And I think that really just goes to show what kind of people they are and what kind of like, you know, brass knackers, basically, you know, they don't care. It was like, um, I'll mention it later on about Natalie Elfwick turning up to that protest and things like that. You know, I'm sure someone else will mention that as well, but they've just got brass knackers, haven't they? So, uh, they'll, they'll say anything, they'll do anything, but they're absolutely horrible. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Um, Laura's put in the t-shirt link in the, in the chat there. If anyone wants to go and buy a John D. Claire t-shirt, um, yeah, it's there, other so.
1: t shirts are available, I understand, mm, as we've well. We've got a and, and Palestine one yeah. and
2: LGBT, and uh, we've got a United Ireland one as well. So for St. Patrick's Day, which was the other day. So, yeah, all sorts going on.
1: I think the John D. Clare one might be useful on uh, sort of. Um, uh, uh, Halloween. You can frighten the, the children who come to the door with it. Um the um just uh UVW. Um thank you for everybody who's been commenting. United Voices of the World, Jane. Uh you learn such things on this show. I've never heard of them before. And Mark Lungley, I think we have we ought to ask <laughs> members of the audience to share their moments of the week. Mark Lungley writes, I've been approved for an insulin pump. This has been 13 years of asking. Congratulations, Mark. That's absolutely super. Um, uh, The other thing you might say, if you're a diabetic, um, you can get Freestyle Libra on the um, NHS as well, um, if it's approved by your hospital. So go for it, Freestyle Libra changes your life um, if you're a diabetic. And and good news to, to you, Mark. Absolutely fantastic news. Uh, and, and I hope that significantly improves the, the the quality of your life. Fabulous moments of the big people. Thank you so much, um uh, But uh, we have a very busy uh, timetable this week, so I'm going to move on, I think. Yes, yeah, two.
4: Now it's time for the
1: big story. It is. It's time for the big story, and we've got not one big story but two big stories where else could you find two big stories for the price of one and we got it today and the first one is um the the, the story that really um uh everybody has to address first that the, the and, and the, the, i'm getting all excited and silly and, and 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 really i'm just introducing one of the tragedy the uh, of, of of the century never mind the decade it's just awful what's happening. Um, I asked the team um, not to revisit old ground, but sort of as you go through, I find my perspective um, is changing. I'm I'm learning new things about the war. I'm getting new ideas about what's going on. I'm changing my views all the time on what I feel about it. And so I asked the team that they might give us an update, not on particularly the facts about the war, though they're welcome to, to talk about those if, if, if that's relevant, but more about how their opinion of the war is changing, how the perspective is changing. Uh, Jane, let's start with you. Um, I mean, uh, is your perspective on the, the war changing as time goes on? And, 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 and uh, what is your developing perspective on that issue?
0: think i i don't know i think it's it's not changing very much but i think i've learned a lot that i didn't know before about the history and the background so um so Navara Media i thought's been really good on their reporting with this and they've had you know a lot of done a lot of research and represented a lot of background information and and interviewed people with different perspectives um and i'm quite shocked at what i already knew but the just the murkiness of the international leadership of the world and the way they're you know the actions of one country of one superpower 20 30 years down the line just have these horrendous results in other countries and it's frustrating because when you listen to it you think well I kind of could have seen that that wasn't going to go well um it's just it's really frustrating and then when you look back and things I'd forgotten you know how um to the extent to which you know Blair and um, our own government, you know, was quite friendly with Putin at one stage. And I mean, I was aware of the human rights abuses going on in Russia in that time. And I'm thinking, why weren't we calling them out? Why weren't we being consistent? It's never okay to oppress people. It's never okay to, to, you know, have have such a situation where people are afraid to speak in their own country, afraid to voice their political views. And it's just, it just really does feel like... There's a lot of moral outrage at the moment and I think the moral outrage coming from the general public is very general but I just get this feeling that the moral outrage coming from the this ruling elite as I'm seeing them at the moment because I'm so angry with them is quite manufactured and not really a about what's right and wrong, but what suits their purposes at any one time and what suits their political... Or even when you look at people like our current Prime Minister, their personal career aims, the extent to which, you know, they're they're prepared to take money from people connected, you know, to Putin. I don't know, let them flood London and raise house prices whilst people in this country are starving on the streets. And they know where that money's come from so i think what's going on in Ukraine is terrible and that perspective hasn't changed but my kind of knowledge and understanding and feelings about the whole you know the world's leadership and the role that everyone's played in this situation over the decades has developed
1: i, I mean i absolutely agree with you jane one of the things that's um, struck me very strongly is that it strikes me that um we're giving the Ukrainians enough to stop the Russians, to make it as difficult as possible, to cause the Russians maximum pain in their invasion. But we're not giving them enough to drive the Russians out and stop the war. And, and, and I've just got this feeling that sort of uh, another Afghanistan where the Russians are tied up, that the, the see another Vietnam um, sort of swimming before their eyes, we can use this to destroy um, the sort of the credibility and the stability of the Russian government. And and at the end of that sort of process, the poor Ukrainian people are absolutely, well, I mean, Ukraine's just been literally flattened, isn't it?
0: It's, it's just awful. I feel like these people have just become pawns in some big international power chess game over the decades. It's, it's a very cynical view, but it's how I feel at the moment.
1: Yeah. I agree. Yes, absolutely agree with you. Thank you very much for your perspective. Sam, what sort of, I mean, uh, are there any developments that have caught your eye particularly?
3: Uh, Well, there was was a big thing, wasn't it, where Boris Johnson mentioned in the uh, Conservative conference that the Ukrainian people were fighting for freedom, just like the UK people did with Brexit which is a disgusting and crass and horrendous thing to say and um there's and it's not even that that I want to focus on it's the the video afterwards of um I forgot his name, sorry, but one of the actual Ukrainian people on the ground. I think he's a he's a mayor of a town saying, you know, how many cities have been levelled to the ground because of Brexit, how many children have been killed because of Brexit. Don't make that comparison, and it was a disgusting comparison to make. Um, and I really hope that it's done him the the well deserved damage that it absolutely. I mean, somebody wrote that. He didn't write that. Somebody wrote that. And, and other people looked at it and thought it was a good idea for the prime minister of the country to say, absolutely disgusting. Um,
1: I, I uh, agree, sort of um, the people who voted for Brexit, oh, you had to give up half an hour to go down to the local polling stations and put a cross on a piece of paper. And, and when you compare that to what some of these um, Ukrainian um, youngsters are doing, 16 and 17 and, um, uh, it's uh, uh, horrific what is going on out there and uh, it was a crass comparison um the um uh, uh, Stuart, most significant development in in the world this week how it's going
4: uh, a significant development certainly i think from the perspective of Britain and British people is perhaps realising how important that entire region is uh, globally. Uh, There's a, you know, 12% of all the calories exported globally come from uh, Russia and the Ukraine combined. Uh, Half of the ingredients for fertiliser come from Belarus and Russia globally. Uh, there's, There's going to be significant pressures Going forward, and I think that's starting to, to hit home now. We were already in a very rough place with a, a cost of living crisis. People uh, are understanding that you know this isn't a world away. You know, and, and refugees uh, arriving in Britain uh, serious consequences for for this taking place. I mean. There's,
1: there's clearly going to be pain for the British people about that, but we'll come on to that later. Because uh, um, sort of, I think we would be wrong just to blame the war for for the pain. But you're absolutely right. The significance of of of, of Eastern Europe, and um, the breadbasket of Europe, it, it's horrific, and not just for the people of Britain as well. I was reading that um, places like Indonesia um, depend on
4: um, Ukrainian wheat to live. Uh, I mean, uh, you look at South America and Brazil as its uh, largest uh, agricultural centre. Eighty percent uh, of the fertilizer that Brazil relies on comes from Belarus and Russia. You know, it's a, a, a an incredibly destabilising thing globally. you know, a percentage of food cost for an average British person might increase from 5% to 10%, but in less developed countries, you're going to see it move from 20% to 40, 50% quite quickly. And that is devastating, uh, a a devastating global position. And that's, of course, is because
1: it's, uh, these are the basics of life that everybody has to have. Uh, They're not luxuries. Um, The, um, uh, uh, coming back to you, Jane, for two seconds. Um, uh, when I was putting out the notes for the meeting, um, I don't know whether you saw them, but uh, I'm I linked to an article by Chakraborty, um, who was sort of saying that the West enthroned the the monster. I mean, would you go as far as um, Putin, that that we put him and gave him his power by courting him and refusing to stand up to him when he took over Crimea? Would you put this just strongly as that?
0: I don't know if I would, I don't know if I'd necessarily say that about Crimea, but looking back at the history of it, um, things I've read recently do suggest, you know, that there was support for Putin um, when he first came into, you know, into power um from America, from I think from Bill Clinton. And like I say, you know, people like Tony Blair, um, you know, being friendly with Putin when these bad things were happening in Russia. There were bad things happening in Russia at that time that should have been called out. And um and we didn't. And of course that empowers someone to think they can do whatever they like. So I I think I would agree with him, although my reason might be slightly different.
1: I mean one of the things I've been thinking is is that our our thinking about foreign policies, politics is is foreign, foreign international relations is very much Brexity in as much as we divide countries up into good countries and bad countries. And and one of the things is we've got ourselves into a fix, haven't we? Because we've we've decided that so many countries with oil and gas are bad countries Um, iran and libya and venezuela ooh, they're naughty countries and so we're not going to have anything saudi arabia in sort of oh we oh we ooh, we need them now and and sort of um do you think that there's you talked about the moral aspect of it but do you think that how big a role for moral issues do you think that there is? in international relations when you're talking about what stuart was talking about whether we eat or not whether we have energy or not whether we have power or not
0: i think i mean we don't have to do things there's not only one way is there and actually i'd say the moral way would have led us down the right way because the moral way would have led us to invest in green infrastructure and not destroy our own manufacturing and you know production in this country not to not to you know devalue those low-paid low, low paid, so-called low-skilled workers in the way that we have you know lots of communities of it's really hard for people in so-called low-skilled work in this country now I find because they're treated so badly um the working conditions are terrible and it's quite difficult oh. we've made really poor choices that link in with this and I'd change them tomorrow if we could and just go a different direction
1: we have made some appalling choices. Sam, I saw you nodding, nodding vigorously when um, Jane said that the, the moral way w- would be the right way. And I love that bit in the song, which comes at the end of the show, which says that he writes to his mother and he says, the uh, it, The left way is right and the right way is wrong, which is just one of the best lines in any song, I think. Um, I mean, what struck me about this is that, um, do, do you think that some of the changes um, which are being forced on us because of the war might in fact have a good result. That sort of the the realization that we can't rely on Russian gas and we shouldn't be relying on le- Russian gas might in fact help the the green um, and sustainable energy side of things. That the fact that we can't get fertilizers might force um, so. Uh, uh, farmers to improve their farming practices and not just chuck fertiliser and, and grow crops on fertiliser. I mean, sort of, or, or is this all just a series of bad things and you we, we want to get back to the old ways as quickly as possible?
3: Yeah, I mean, my, my concern is that uh, it, those huge changes in practise, especially in the uh, agricultural sector, can't happen in one or two seasons. They've got to happen over quite a number of years. Um, so, you know, if, if, if we were in a situation where we couldn't import food, we would starve because we don't have the capacity to feed our own people. And I think that has always been a national security issue. And the fact that it's never been treated as a national security issue is a huge failing of of the government. And it's the same with everything else, with clothing. We, We don't do things for ourselves anymore. And we've just relied on the fact that we can offshore all of the manufacturing and all of the misery actually that you know textiles manufacturing in particular creates um so we don't have to worry about it it happens somewhere else it happens in china happens in bangladesh and we can just go to primark and be happy shoppers and buy a new pair of leggings every three weeks right so um i think that um it will be very painful to do it this way if we are forced at a screeching halt to reduce our consumption but we've talked about it before on the show is the fact you just cannot keep expanding and keep consuming forever. There's a point where you run out of stuff to consume. There's a point where people don't have en- enough hours in the day to work longer, to create more GDP. And if that's how you are measuring your success as a society, it can't go on forever. So it would be, uh, it's a huge worry. It's, you know, there is not a utopia this way Um, But, you know, maybe it is the way that our government learned some really harsh lessons.
1: Um, Spot on, Sam, and an awful lot of support for what all of you have been saying in in the comments too. Um, uh, And of course this was all Thatcher. She said that we don't need to make our own goods. We don't need to have our own energy. We can sell the city of London to the rest of the world, and then we'll make the money to buy those cheap things from other people. Um, and uh, somebody's exported misery. Tim Dredge, spot on as always, exported misery. Um, Thank you. Paul, um, I've um, I've got a couple of difficult questions for you before I ask you the main question. One of the things that's been coming out of the war, and Mark Lungley put his uh, finger on it, is that in fact the Ukraine has had a problem for some significant period of time with neo-Nazis and with Nazism. Um, There's... um, been attacks on um, uh, the the Roma community. Um, What's coming out now by various Russophile sort of uh, people on social media um, uh, is uh, that um, they've armed all these uh, neo-Nazi groups now and they are um, capturing Russian soldiers allegedly um, torturing them branding them and doing worse things to them and the sort of the ukraine is not a, a, a universally nice and wonderful country um i mean what's your reaction what uh, what, what, when you see stories like that i mean do one you may choose not to believe them because but sort of how do you how are you reacting to these stories that have started to come out showing the dark side of the the ukraine
2: um as someone who's been interested in um these things for a very long time and interested it came as no surprise to me that um i already i already knew that there was a a neo-nazi uh faction of the army that were absorbed into the ukrainian army that's a very old news story that's very well documented um, if people are paying attention and, and i was paying attention then so this is not this is not a new thing i think the problem for me is is um we have such a childish approach to the news and such a childish approach to um uh, to You know conflict in this country like like it's goodies and baddies it's so bizarre that you wouldn't believe it if it was a film plot it was a film plot you'd say actually those those bad russian guys you know there's no motive for them to do this so i'm actually going to stop watching this film because it's really really silly because they're just the baddies and we're just the goodies and it doesn't make any sense now there is a mix of all sorts of different uh, reasons for people to do things and I think what Russia has done is utterly disgusting, going to war, utterly disgusting, so nothing's changed there. But that does not mean that the West's policies have been perfect. Far from it. In fact, you know, we need to totally change our approach to any sort of conflict. Things are going badly, badly wrong. And if you think about, like, you know, can you really criticise Russia, Russia for doing what they've done in the Ukraine, in, in Ukraine? when the west have done what they've done in um in syria and in libya and you know and all these other um all these other countries where they shouldn't have been and this is nato as well and you look at all the countries that nato have invaded over the years it's huge nato have bases on the outskirts of russia do russia have out bases on the outskirts of nato you know like there are there are decisions that have led us to this position so yes people in ukraine have like sorry the the leadership in ukraine have got some really dubious things i thought the way um black refugees were treated in ukraine is quite scary but sadly not surprising so the world isn't split up into magical good guys and magical bad guys you know that is not the way the world works we need to be sensible and we need to be mature about this and think, you know, we've got racists in this country, a lot of them, and we've got racist uh, racist government policies in this country. Like Chantelle Lunt, who presented the show a few weeks ago, um, she's been in huge problems, had huge issues with the police this week, which we'll maybe talk about in the after show. But, like you know, she's she's facing racism when you've got um, a child, sorry, it's a child queue. And so on. we've got all these, like, Big problems with racism in this country. So, why wouldn't Ukraine have big racism problems? We treat Gypsy Roma travel people awfully. So, why wouldn't they? You know, we're not perfect. We haven't sorted out our, our problems yet. We aren't split into good guys and bad. We aren't the good guys. And they aren't also, the bad guys.
1: I think also, Paul, my, my, my view would be when, um, we have a very sanitized view of war in the West. Mm-hmm. And we have this idea that we can go to war and it'll be a just and a good war. I mean, it's almost like a uh, sort of a medieval view of a just war. And, uh, you know, our guys will, as you say, will be the good guys. And and what you don't realise is that in, in a war, everybody, particularly as it gets nasty to, as it goes on nasty, uh, sort of the worst in everybody comes out and mankind that dredges the bottom of the bucket of all that's foul in human nature. And you can't have a war without this happening. And that's why you have to do everything, everything you can to avoid it. It has to be the, the last thing. Um, yeah, refugees. Um, you mentioned refugees earlier. Um, do you think the, um, Britain's uh, stance on refugees from Ukraine has has improved, or is it still, still something to be absolutely ashamed of?
2: Linked back into my moment of the week. No, the, from a government point of view, no, it's appalling. It's utterly appalling. Um, at the beginning of the coronavirus crisis, I thought things would change with regards to how government policy might be and how people see things. But we've fallen right back into the world where it was, but it's a bit worse, I think. Like post pandemic i think we might see like we had we had this big positive upsurge and saying yeah we want to help people we care about refugees now all of a sudden refugees aren't a dirty word you know refugees oh refugees yeah i'd take a refugee into my home and loads of people have said that and bless the people who've said that that's really lovely really really good um probably because of the way the war has been portrayed in this country um, rather than the, the, the refugees coming from Syria who are equally in dire straits but have been so for longer. Um, so, so I thought maybe people might change their opinion on refugees. I believe they have, but I think the government there, they're just, they're just making platitudes because they still want to offshore the processing of refugees. They do not want them to be here. They do not want anyone who needs our help who need our help as a as a relatively safe country they don't want to help them they have no interest in helping them they're interested in helping themselves there is no money to be made in helping a refugee and that is what everything this government is about is about making money for their donors and it makes no money for their donors so they're not going to do it thank you um
1: i could go on talking about this with you forever um the joy of this this show Um, is um, listening to the the panel you know if you're listening in you'll know it's just wonderful seeing hearing their different left-wing views and very often views which you don't hear on the mainstream media. I was at a meeting um, in the week about the cost of living uh, crisis we had two um, key speakers there um, uh, Andy McDonald and what was, what was his name, Ian Paul? Ian Lavery. Ian Lavery. How could I forget Ian Lavery? And, um, but, um, the, uh, meeting was introduced by five speakers, four of whom were the, the political unmuted dream team, uh, sort of Paul, Sam, Stewart, and, uh, sorry, Jane, Laura, um, and, um, I just thought, get in there. That's my team. Not in any sense that I'm in control of you because, my God, anybody can see I'm not. Although I was responsible for the creation of you, but just because it's my privilege to sit and listen to you. And can I tell you, you were superb. You were absolutely spectacularly good. And just what we know on this program you can do, lucid, lovely ideas and offering different perspectives from your own point of view so what i'm going to do people i hope you don't mind i'm going to ask each person in turn obviously not jane um sort of i've got you on something else jane you don't escape but sort of um i'm going to ask each of the three who were there just quickly in your two minutes um just um summarize what you said your the, the 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 introduction you gave to that meeting paul let's start with you what uh, what did you say in the introduction
2: okay so I'll, um mine's going to be up there so if anyone wants to see it we're going to release that speech this week on my um my political page that i've got but um basically mine was that this is the system working exactly as it should and people people are going around acting like there's this cost of living crisis that's just come out of nowhere and it's it's a series of of unfortunate events of which like the ukraine war is included but it's not this is by design you know you can only squeeze so much blood out of a stone and what's happening is the wealth of everyone else is being sacrificed for the wealth of billionaires and they're trying to squeeze as much money as they can and it's really hitting the middle classes as well now as as well as everyone else how i actually would consider most people to be working class but i have a different definition of most people i think if you're precarious you're working class if you would lose your house you know if you lost your job then you're working class but other people might not see it that way but anyway that was that was um my thing and it's not been a, a it's not been a short term thing i went right back to the austerity following the 2008 financial crash what we've got is we've got a system that it doesn't even, like, it's, it's a free market ideology for everyone, as in you will get no help from the state if you need it, if you're a human being, if you need that to live. But if you're a business, they'll help you. And if you're a failing business who's done terrible things, you will be propped up and you will be saved by the state. It is capitalism for everyone else and socialism for the richest. That's the system we've got. I didn't say that on the day, but that's kind of like the, the idea of what I was going about. We need to understand where everything's come from, the fact that this isn't an accident. This is the system working as exactly as it's been designed to do by the wealthy for the wealthy.
1: And so it pushes it into a situation where we're all um, working like crazy and spending every penny that we're earning with them um that, that, that was fantastic, Paul. And you were great on the day uh Stuart, um sort of you were fabulous as well, and I think you came before Sam in the pecking in, in the speaking order um sort of um what what did you say to to, to, to everybody in your little speech
4: told everybody I was called uh, uh, I went back to you know things really started in 2012. Uh, with regards to you know austerity kicking in, and that's for many people where the the cost of living crisis started. That before you know uh, the Ukraine was invaded, uh, before even Brexit, there were nurses uh, going hungry, and going to food banks, and not being able to afford to travel to work to save lives. But you know back you know five ten years ago, we we had kids going without lunches. And that malnutrition was becoming a normalised thing. That yeah. this didn't just start, as, as Paul's touched on. It's not an overnight thing. It didn't creep up on anyone. It's it's been there and it's been ignored. Uh, so yeah, that that was my my few minutes. Thank you. Um,
1: a manufactured crisis, people. Yeah do feel free to comment on these uh that these thoughts um then sam apart from telling everybody that I lost my seat in the last election one
3: of um, the... <laughs> 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 those things you just came out and I'm just no, like no. It's
1: it's so <laughs> it was just so lovely the way it happened and it was so lovely to me and 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 so, oh john you're there that's lovely it's so, not to be on that counselor of course and the um the certainly so, it's just just so wonderful god bless you but um so did the points you made were absolutely smashing and 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 really important i thought and and one word which i hope will come out really rocked home to me uh sam what did you say to everybody
3: yeah I mean I chose to uh, base my speech around hope for our future um, and a little bit of optimism and the way that I see things that obviously we're in a dark dark place we're in a darker place than we've been before and every year so far we've thought it can't get much worse than this and it has and we've now got you know, the situation where people, we, you know, we already had people who couldn't decide, couldn't uh, decide whether they were going to heat their home or, or feed themselves. And now we're going to have people on full time, like well paid jobs who are going to have to make that decision for themselves. Right. It's going to be really serious when this bites. And, and we haven't, it's already hard and it hasn't even hit yet. Um, and that including the National Insurance Rises. Um so i i just i just said you know the people out there in our communities who are fighting this on the ground the people who are working the food banks or or even just giving people a little bit of advice um where they can and, and helping out their neighbors they share our values and we need to make sure that we are among those people we are doing what we can on the ground but also being really clear when people come to us in desperation and they say I've just had to help this family you know feed themselves why are things like this we need to be there to remind themselves that this is not a natural situation this is a result of 12 years of political decisions by those who are in power in this country and it doesn't have to be this way um and of course I I did hit (laughs) I intended to finish my speech with a very passionate um call to arms, I guess, um, for our County Durham constituencies to really think um, about who they select as their new MP. But my ex-MP was sat at the back of the room. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, she might be watching, I'm sorry, I don't want her to be my MP again, but I, I like the woman. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to upset you know those things aren't mutually exclusive so uh, yeah I think it is really important in County Durham we've got County Durham and Darlington there's four potential winnable um, labour seats and if we get good people in those jobs that could that could really turn the tide I think.
1: Yes I think Sam that basically um, Helen Goodman like myself need to realise that our generation has now had it and um, so be, it's time that we supported a new generation coming forward and taking on the fight. You can't go on forever. And I think it was proved that the old guard that the public wanted rid of the old guard. And, and, and so be, it's time for uh, uh, new people to come up and take those and, and shake that tree. Um, sort of, um, just based on what you're saying Anik, uh, as we're watching the television tonight, Anik, one in five you think of Annick as being a very middle class leafy area, one in five of the population are using food banks one in five in Anik and um, sort of Lizzie Fletcher really comment uh, good comment um, in reply to um, uh, I've lost you Lizzie and um, uh, Neil Terry, the Tories still repeat that line that work is the best way out of poverty, and Lizzie Fletcher comes in and says, "Yes, work will set you free." Now, where have we heard that before? And and it's all about the the enslavement, um, sort of uh, of the working class. Um, Jane, you weren't at the meeting. You must be feeling terribly, um, sort of nose put out of joint. I just apologise, but. What would you have said about the cost of living crisis if you'd been at that meeting?
0: would have said that i'm sick of the failed economics of this government and how it so obviously fails time and time again how it's tanked our economy for is it 11 12 years now and it's so clear to see how how privatizing all of our state-run services has just ended up in a total disaster with utilities that people can't afford and raw sewage dumped in the waterways and People getting huge dividends and saying they can't afford to put any of that money back into our infrastructure, the most rubbish trains, most expensive trains in the whole of Europe, whilst other stump state-run train companies, other countries have such a much nicer, more reliable, cheaper service than us. There's just there's nothing to show that these awful economic policies work. But there have been various reports that show that they're literally killing people, and yet we still, as a society, seem to be taking in this establishment media narrative that this works and, don't, and you know, and that the sensible socialist fully-costed policies in the Labour manifestos in 2017 and 2019 were nonsense. I just can't understand how we're through the looking glass on this and how we're taking this nonsense in as a society. I, I agree. A, the,
1: the number of me... Carbon was right. Carbon was... <laughs> absolutely bless him um i'm going to go around you very quickly tomorrow the chancellor's giving his statement i just want one thing that if that man gave a damn about the people of the united kingdom of england let's say um he would introduce he would bring in in his statement you've got one thing paul one one thing um sort of um, don't, don't look at me like that sort of one you're a maths teacher um sort of um the one thing that you think it would want him to do, and then we'll have a look and see how many he manages. Um, Stuart, what would be the one thing for you? £15 pound an hour. Living wage. Sam? Um,
3: operating of benefits.
1: You know, on the news this, this week about how Terribly disabled people are being hit about this because it costs them much more to live than ordinary people. Uh, oh, please forget that word, ordinary people, um, disabled people who are uh, sort of um, abled people. Please forgive that slip of the tongue. Jane.
0: Um, full funding for the NHS, including proper training and bursaries to fill all the vacancies.
1: Thank you. And Paul, last, last two, just the, the one thing he needs to do. UBI. Well, I can tell you now he's not going to do
2: that i no, won't it's, it's unrealistic mm-hmm. but uh, universal basic income would um would cover everything that people have just mentioned there um you'd have to pay for that by stripping out all the privatization as well so it wouldn't all come at once but yeah you'd be out um, other stories paul.
1: You can tell, I'm new. I'm new back, I've completely messed up the timing. We've just got time for one more question, <laughs> and then I'm going to ask Samantha to talk briefly. Uh, Stuart, talk to us about the PO crisis, which was the next thing people wanted to talk about.
4: Uh, a little background is that roughly a week ago, uh, PO uh, got roughly 800 members of staff uh, into resume meeting and told them that they had been made redundant. Uh, then, when uh, staff didn't take that too well, they went on board ships and were removing them in handcuffs. Uh, there's uh, been some uh, incredible backlash, and I know that certainly things have escalated quite quickly because I've just checked up on the updates and Pino are making 36.5 million quid available uh, as severance packages uh, after the fact. Um how is that legal Stuart? Uh, my understanding that it's legal only in the, the mechanisms used with where the, the company is set up and where it operates from and which laws and which country's laws it likes to, to use and use beneficially to itself.
1: Terrific. Her- uh, Jane, um, Sort of, um, what are your thoughts about this?
0: So um, apparently this is going to save the company £9 million by paying poverty wages to these um, workers with insecure work contracts. Um, And they're paying out £140 million for golf sponsorship, and they've also just um, entered into a racing sponsorship. So they could have just reduced the golf sponsorship to £131 million and not done this to the workers, but they've decided on their priorities. Yeah.
1: I mean that's the, the that's the double standard. Is not it? Oh, we're going bankrupt. We need to employ cheap foreign labour at two pound thirty an hour. Uh, are we going to go bankrupt. Oh, by the way, all these other things, the dividends and, and and the hypocrisy. Somebody mentioned hypocrisy on the the, uh, the comment stream earlier. It's just uh, full of hypocrisy. Sam. Um, what about the government's reaction? Are you satisfied with the government's reaction? They've been actually quite outspoken in their opposition to what's, got, what's happened.
3: Well, I mean, that's the great thing about them being the government, isn't it? Because if they really cared, they could change the law or they could withdraw p licenses to, to operate our waters or they, they could make their own ferry company. You know, there's an awful lot of things that the government could do Words are not enough, words aren't aren't good enough. And again, it goes back to this thing, right? If we don't have people in this country who can operate boats, that's a national security issue, right? We we can't just outsource everything just because it's cheaper. And that's where the government should step in because we need people who can ride boats seafarers. We need people who can uh, pilot planes, drive, the, to all of the, you know, these skill. we can't keep offshoring all of our skilled work, right? What's one of the things that the, all employers are telling us right now? They can't employ people who are leaving school, they've got no skills. We, we can't, this is like, uh, again, it's just a, it's a huge national issue that the government should get a hold of.
1: Fire and rehire, Sam. I mean, basically, the um, there's all hell on going on social media because the Labour Party brought forward on the back of the PO thing something that would actually um, uh, l- make fire and rehire illegal. And none of the Tories turned up, they didn't even turn up for the debate. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, sort of, when people are saying that this basically sums up the government's there for the bosses, the Tories are for the bosses not for the workers. What's your comment on that?
3: Yeah. Um, Boris Johnson made it very clear early on in his leadership that anybody who disagreed with his leadership was going to get sacked, right? Uh, and he obliterated all opposition to him. And that's not how our democracy is supposed to work. Our democracy is supposed to... Be you know, yes, you're going to have political, you're going to have political whips, you're going to have political influence, but ultimately every MP, it's their name next to their vote, and they should be voting for what's in their constituent's best interests. And Tories that have done that in the past have been sacked. Um, so. We've got this situation, especially our MPs who came in in 2019. They see Boris as the reason why they've got a job. They are hugely loyal, and they're definitely more loyal to him than they are to us.
1: Yeah, thank you, Paul. There's people in there on the stream mentioning Alfick, uh, um, sort of, and you mentioned it before the um, uh, before the 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 show started. Do you want to talk about that for a while?
2: Yeah, it has the what? What uh, Natalie Elfwick did? The I think she's the MP for Dover or something. She turned up and um and and turned up at a protest against these sackings, but like everyone started shouting, "Shame on you!" When she joined in, she's like, "Shame on you!" And they're like, no, we're talking about you. Shame on you because she um she and her government have just uh, empowered companies to do this like workers in britain have had their like unions have had their powers cut for years um i've seen a decline in in union power in uh, in my time in in work and you know unions have, have become a dirty word they get attacked by the press all the time but they are workers last line of defense and first line of defense and only line of defense um, and
1: workers have um believed the sun and uh, and the telegraph and given up on that line of defence. Yeah, it's, yeah, and, and
2: that's been a, And it's, it's been a, a ploy. Behavior. It's been a ploy, and that's not just um, that's not just the Tory party though. That would like you know, the, there's been a, a distancing in certainly the New Labour years when they wanted to distance themselves from the naughty unions because the press kept on saying things about them and and so on. But like I think what she did had the same energy as the Tories who turn up at food banks um yes. and and smile the heads off they see everything's a everything's a photo opportunity for them and it starts with things like you know well there's litter everywhere because you've sacked the people who used to clean it up so we'll expect local politicians to work as volunteers and put on a hivers vis jacket and do a litter pick and that'll be something that becomes expected of politicians who used to just turn up to meetings and vote on things and then like oh yeah politicians should turn up and smile at food banks despite the fact they voted for them to exist And they should use that as a political opportunity. And again, she's thought, "I'm going to seize this political opportunity, and I'm going to turn up at this protest, and this is going to make me popular, and I'm absolutely great." And look at this. And either, again, it's the brass knackers, (laughs) brass knackers arguing. Have have they got like so much, so much gall to turn up at these things and think no one else knows? Everyone's stupid. Or are they that stupid that they don't realise their only job is actually to legislate against this kind of thing and protect people from it, but all they're doing is empowering the wrong people who are unscrupulous bosses and all that stuff. Do they really not know what they're doing? Like I can't I sometimes can't work it out, whether they're just grossly incompetent and have no clue or they have the like the complete goal to turn up and laugh at people basically that's what they're doing if Thanks, that's paul. if they understand just
1: just very briefly once samantha have you seen mark lumley's comment there 2022 needs to be the summer of the union and the strike if there, there's maybe a comment you might want to bring up um uh, for the second half paul what can we do we as individuals about the PO situation
2: that's a very interesting thing to say. So we as individuals, no, we are not individuals. Our power is in collectivism. We mustn't think of ourselves as individuals. We are many, they are few. So these people who want to do things, they can only do things by our consent. They can only treat people like crap by our consent. And look at some of those workers that went on there, that were marched on there to do that. Some of those people who went on there to take those people in handcuffs refused to do it. Didn't realise what was going on, the security staff. They refused. They refused. And, you know, some of the agency workers are now like probably, you know, absolutely poor as anything, really, really struggling. They say, no, we're not going to replace people's good jobs by doing this, but we need to be collectivized. We as a group of people in this country need to come together and tell people, no, this isn't going to happen. That's what we need to do.
1: Thank you, Paul. I'm so sorry to be abrupt with you at the end. We've just got time, Samantha. You've got 60 seconds uh, without repetition, um, <laughs> uh, and pausing, or whatever the other one is, is to talk about uh, the Nazanin situation, just to get people's uh, intellectual juices going.
3: Absolutely. So, for those of you who may not know the whole story, Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe has been in an Iranian prison for six years. She has a seven-year-old daughter. She's never going to get those years back. There's nothing that they can do to to give that back to her. Um, Not only was she effectively abandoned by the UK government, while also offering platitudes to make it seem that they were trying to get her out. um, Several years ago, a plucky young Home Secretary by the name of Foreign Secretary, by the name of Boris Johnson, um, gave a statement saying that she was out there teaching people journalism. She was on a family holiday. She was not teaching people journalism. That kept her in an Iranian prison. That was read out in court against her. He is personally responsible <laughs> for making her situation worse. And now the government are trying to... Uh, claim some glory for bringing her home when one of the reasons she was there was that we owed the Iranian government 400 million pounds in an unpaid debt going back to the 70s right now I'm not saying you should lock people up if they owe you money right I'm not saying that's right goes back what Paul was saying before good guys bad guys you can't think of the world in that way but basically she's finally out Probably because we need oil from from Iran, so we need to rebuild that relationship. Um, and she had a a press a press statement on TV where she said, "I shouldn't have been in prison for six years. They could have done more. I don't trust. I'm not going to thank the foreign secretary. I've seen four or five foreign secretaries in my time." And the internet exploded in hatred for her. Um. Reminder, a woman who has a seven-year-old daughter who was in prison for six years of her life um, isn't allowed to say what she thinks about that experience. I think not. So I think um, what we can say is we are all with you, Nazanin, and we are against all of those horrible, horrible internet people that think that they can decide what you can and cannot say about your experience of being in an Iranian prison.
1: Yeah. Jeremy Hunt, she, she's a woman who requires answers.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's it, thank you very much indeed. Um, and uh, on that basis, everybody, I'm going to bring the show to slightly um, uh, over the hour halt. Um, Thank you for the great privilege of allowing me to um, host the four of you. Paul, Sam, Stuart, Jane, always welcome. God bless you. Thank you. It's just such a joy uh, sitting in these seats and um, uh, listening to you all. Thank you, everybody, for your amazing comments, um, uh, which I'm sure Sam will pick up in the, in the second half. And... Um, Uh, We're now going to um, go and listen to, um, what's his name, Joe Solo and uh, sort of have a bit of a break. God bless you. See you next week. Don't miss it next week. Electric.
3: Hello, everybody. Oh, didn't John do well on his first day back? Well done, John. (laughs) We have missed John so much. We have appreciated everybody who stepped in to be guest hosts. Um, but when Paul suggested that we were gonna have guest hosts, I was very nervous because it's actually um a lot harder to be the host. <laughs> than any other job on the show because like you say you've got to keep track of time you've got to rein us all in you've got to do all of the reading for all of the things where we've just got to read around one thing (laughs) about five minutes before the show so um uh, not that I just do my homework five minutes before the show of course um (laughs) so (laughs) sometimes during the show um but it's really good and uh, honest John um you know, I think we can all we can all say you say that it was great to see us all up there speaking at the socialist campaign group rally. But it's not an accident, you know, um, I, I probably wouldn't even be a, a county councillor if it wasn't for your support um, over the years. And you developing first the radio show, which will become a cult sort of because none of these people will have heard the radio show because they're all internet people but before this show there was a local radio show that John Clare hosted on Aircliffe Radio and we all started on there like coming into an actual studio and talking to no one (laughs) Um, but you can only get better at speaking By practicing it, and this is something that I will talk about all the time, and I'm now much more capable to talk about it because I've had so much practice, but, you know, people with power and influence, people who go to private school, they are taught to speak. They are taught to give, you know, um, well, speeches. (laughs) Um, but, But a lot of sort of working class people, they're not taught that, you know, the same weight isn't put on it uh, and we've got to s- equip ourselves with those skills because it's only with those skills that we can fully explain our politics how we want the world to be and get people over to our side so uh, john you you should you should be really proud because you know we're all here because of you uh you you've given us this platform so thanks There we go. Don't cry. Um, (laughs) Back to the comments. I really like... We were talking about Twitter and nasty people on Twitter. And I don't like making comments about people's intellect. But Jake Radcliffe, you did make me laugh. He said... Twitter can be a platform for the vocal minority who can't do joined up thinking, <laughs> isn't that the truth? Um, yes, I, I think that's the case. You know, it, it's been shocking to see the outpouring of, of hatred for Nazanin zaghari Radcliffe. But I think if you talk to people, if you went down to the pub and talked to people in the pub, they would say, what a poor woman, she's been locked up for six years, how terrible. Um, and, and that's what we should be um, focusing on because that's real, that's real life people, isn't it?
1: I mean, can I just interrupt you there, Sam, and say that um, I agree with Jake that one of, the reasons, one of the ways I'm dealing with trolls at the moment is uh, they come on and they say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Are yeah, you scared to debate? And at that point I say, no, I'm not really scared to debate, stop. write 200 words of joined up thinking about this topic and then I'll enter into a debate. And and sort of they can't, they can't write 200 words of a, a developed argument. Um, what they are is they're they're proficient in um, throw away destructive phrases which destroy your confidence and which sound clever on the surface of them. But when you say now put that together in, in, into a proper sequence of thought, they can't do it. They're trained to destroy, um, to destroy thought, not mm. to to create thought. And that's right, it's so important that you people are given the opportunity to actually develop a line of thoughts and to develop an argument because that is where the future lies, not in these one line um, nasties um, that mm-hmm. has to that has to stop really yeah there's um
3: Mia says on her Facebook. All she's seen as people being supportive of, of Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe, so that, that's that's great. And honestly, I only realized people on Twitter were being horrible because people were talking about people on Twitter being horrible, as so I, I searched it out. Um, because I'm like, surely not, surely not. Um, lots of uh, Mark saying that he's got uh, uh he's got his own John Clare, uh, Pete Law in the Black Country who uh. uh you know has helped him along that's lovely um yeah and there were loads and loads of comments saying well well done john thank you for coming back we love you yes okay we get it (laughs) um i I didn't catch this one chris hood said uh Nazanin said at the start of her incarceration the iranian government sent over a delegation to discuss the debt owed by the uk government and the delegation were put in an immigration detention center I mean, and now now we've just passed a law where you know, people will be processed <coughs> offshore. It's it's just dystopian what's going on. Um anyway, right, other comments. Uh I've lost me one document. There it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. 2022 needs to be the summer of the union and the strike we'll talk about that a little bit i've spent some time with my local usda uh organizer today um so i am officially trying to get people to sign up to usdor I've got a pen for you if you want to sign up to usdor I don't know whether i'm allowed to give people pens if they tell me they've signed up to us door but let's let's play it fast and loose um <laughs> that's what i've got pens and application forms what do you think paul is 2022 the summer of the union of and the strike
2: well firstly solidarity to us door um we've had lisa collins on the show before um on the origin show so yeah we we're, we're friends with us door on this show um although um you know, they've had some good wins, like Nails Neil's criticizing them in the comments now, but they've have had some some good wins uh that maybe they don't publicize. Um, with regards to unions in general, we need to get back to what unions are, people who work in a place. Um we don't need top-down unions, we need bottom-up unions. That is entirely the way things need to be going. Things need to be coming from the workers. Um I think there was a there was a new laborization of some of the unions. Um where, you know, if you look good in a suit and if you say the right things and if you're all sensible then you can get people say in teaching you get uh you got a lot of people get out on a on a deal. We got a lot of people out on deals, we got a lot of people payouts and stuff, but at the end of the day they get a payout, they don't have a job. And the more people we get payouts, the fewer people who are willing to work with the union Um, will be in their workplace. And also, if you don't publicise those wins, like you're not allowed to because these deals are by their nature secret, so people are quite happy to do it, eventually people realise that... They they don't realise that union solidarity is important. I would collectivise on far more things if I was in charge of unions. And if I had a more prominent position in unions, um, I would be saying we need to collectivize on far more issues rather than getting person to person deals that we don't publicize so unions are doing some great work but the long term strategy of unions they're making themselves less relevant by getting those wins and i think the government are very very happy to pay off a teacher like 25,000 40,000 even 100,000 pounds to go away Go away! Don't be our problem anymore. Because we 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 don't need collectivization on this. We need people to be singled out. We need to be people to be individuals, and we can deal with individuals. What we can't deal with is people together. So uh, yeah, that's that's how I would massively change the way we work. It's got to be collectivism.
3: Great, right. Jane. What are your thoughts on you any of those things? Unions, strikes. What's the future of unions? Mm-hmm
0: i i really think that unions need to adapt to the gig economy because there are an awful lot of people the people mostly who need them most need more unions more than any of us because they're in the most precarious positions on the worst wages um and worst conditions and they can't it's very difficult for them to join a union i don't think union structures are set up for that and i also think um Unions, you know, if you're working a 16 hour day, then you don't want to go to a meeting and discuss, you know, terms of reference. So I think maybe unions need to look at getting more involved in people's, you know, life outside of work and being part of the community. Um, just embedding themselves in people's lives and providing a social network for people if that's you know even if that's all they can do so that I think that's a good way to get people engaged and we need everyone to be involved really don't we because otherwise it doesn't work
4: Stuart? bang on yeah you know like Paul's touched on and and Jane it's got to be more than the workplace it's you know about building a, a coalition of support around uh, a, a winnable, you know, agenda. And certainly, you you look at things like JMB going into Amazon. You also want to be going to the, the neighboring uh, locations and say, "Look, there, there's there's drivers that aren't allowed to use the toilet. There's a reason. There's bags of crap on your doorstep. Bring them into the face. We need." Uh, you know, look at this as a, a much broader issue than, you know, workplace by workplace, industry by industry. And, you know, there's ways to do that. Certainly Unite, do it with the Unite community. It would be great to see other initiatives like that uh, across unions and, and perhaps kind of fallout areas, catchment areas. So when people are, uh, they, they, they do lose their employment, that they don't fall out of the union system that there's somewhere for them to go and be active and stay strong and be supported, whether they return to work uh, in that industry or a different industry. You know, the, that energy and experience, uh, it isn't wasted. It doesn't disappear. And, uh, it, you know, it, it builds our coalition.
3: Great, John, what do you think? I've got a question for
1: Stuart. I mean, one of the things I found so exciting recently in unions is the idea of unite community. That really struck me as being uh, quite a radical development in the unions. Do you think there's a role, going back to what Jane was saying about the gig economy, do you think there's perhaps a role for a, a place for a unite gig hmm.
4: union? Absolutely. Uh, you know, certainly work as we know has changed uh, considerably over the last decade and a half. Uh, and we need to adapt ca- quite quickly to catch up with it, to support those workers. But we need we also need the, to recognise that, you know, workers aren't just people with jobs that get a wage. There's workers who are stay-at-home carers. You know, there's, there's workers who are volunteers in community centres. They're still working. They're recognised as workers for the most part by the government. And, you know, their industrial sector is society. And if we started organising on those terms, it's a completely different fight if we're just organising in a Tesco bakery, if we're just organising in an Amazon site. You know, it's we we come together on a much larger scale, we share more uh, knowledge, more insight, and we're, you know, collectively so much powerful.
2: It's funny, I mean, you, you bring something up there about what's, what is work, actually. I'm just really interested yeah. in that. It's like, there's so much unpaid work, there's so many... Like, you know, you do so much more good looking after a relative and so much more like, and you do so much work in the house and that kind of thing. Um, Like rather than people sitting around an office absolutely doing nothing, like some people do nothing. Um, Yeah, I just thought that was kind of relevant. And um, the, the only comment, um, thank you, Paul. Sorry to
1: uh, uh, sort of uh, talk over the beginning of that. The um, Sam, I think that my only comment would be is is that you do have to understand um, that when you go on strike, nobody wins, mm. and very often the strikers lose massively. They set themselves back. So it's like war is a strike. You have to be absolutely certain that it's the big principles that you're fighting for. But the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes you just got to stand up and fight. Sometimes it's sort of unseemly and um, and uh, problematic as it is and damaging as it is. You've just got to stand up and fight your corner. And one of the things that's happening is, is that We've let the government get away with this line, which says um, the Bank of England says yes, and um, prices are going to go up through the roof. But don't ask for a bigger wage. It, it, how do people live? Mm. And 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 somebody in in the position of authority has to realise at some point that people have got to be able to have enough to actually put a roof over their head and clothes
4: on the back and food and get to work. Yeah. Well, it's not um, even how capitalism supposed to work. You need to have yeah. all the basics, plus enough to keep buying stuff. That's right. So if you reduce it down to just survival, capitalism fails completely. And that's where we're, we're getting to. We're getting to a point in capitalism where there's no future in it whatsoever um it, absolutely spot on the 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 uh, so um and
1: the the government and the firms have got to be brought to their senses
2: yeah. so yes. so the only way to the do first... that is the threat of strike when you when you say yeah. on, no one wins in a no one wins in a strike well you lose if you're not willing to take it it's it, you've got so little power as a work all you've got is the power of your labor which is actually a huge power collectively. And you have to be willing to exercise that. Um, so, yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, it's the first thing when you talk about raising the minimum, raising the minimum wage, or you know, paying people decent wages. The first thing people say is, um, "Oh, you can't do that because the cost of everything else will go up," and then you point out that the cost of everything else has still been going up. <laughs> despite wages not going up. And that's obviously much worse than having both of those things go up at the same time. You know? Um it's it's um gosh, it's such a frustrating place to argue. With I have to
1: congratulate Neil Terry on putting um a picture into my mind that I cannot just now shake. It's going to keep me awake at night that's thought.
3: <laughs> Neil says can I walk around naked in the street and say I can't afford clothes as a defence? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> oh dear. Oh Neil. Neil and his jokes. I bet you missed Neil, John. I did, yes. <laughs> Uh, no, we do, we do love Neil. Neil, by the way, uh, if, if you're not familiar with him, go and snoop at his profile because he's a fantastic photographer and he's took some amazing photographs of uh, p and um, demonstrations recently. They're really good to look at, really interesting photos to look at. I love looking at photos of groups of people because you can just get lost, can't you? looking at all the different people and sort of imagining... Imagining their have stories. Let's get him back on
2: as well. Back, he's been on the show. Yeah, before.
3: let's get him, back, get on him on back on the show. And by the way, shout out to Kerry Wilkes, who also needs to come on the show. Um, she did again. She's 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 great, great. Sort of activist, great person to talk to, Kerry, um, but she did a piece um, that was captured by I- ITV News, I think, um, where she was talking about the reality of the cost of living crisis for her, uh, and solidarity to her, because there is absolutely, unfortunately, no way um, a woman can speak on TV without getting loads of abuse um, about things that are totally irrelevant to what they've been talking about. So I know um, she talked about that and and, um, and her story has been regurgitated by the local press in a way that wasn't very um, responsible as well. They didn't contact her before they ran the story, that kind of thing. So it's very difficult to um, to go through all of that stuff If you're an old hat like me, you're used to it. But um, it it does take some processing the first few times that happens to you. So well done, Kerry. You're doing a cracking job. Uh, Do you want to say anything on that, Stuart?
4: I mean, I I saw some of the comments that were uh, levied against Kerry and it was like, uh, well, back in my day, we weren't even allowed fire. I just had to rub my hands on a piece of coal to stay warm. I was like, oh. yes, but it's 2022 and private individuals are selling tickets to space. You know what I mean? We've got to move beyond the idea that we deserve more than a lump of coal.
3: Absolutely. You know, things are supposed to get better. They're not. They're not.
4: Where's my um, goddamn jetpack?
3: Where is my jetpack? <laughs> Where is my jetpack? Uh, Mark Longley said, if hard work is a way out of poverty, why are nurses, cleaners and caregivers so poorly paid? Boom. I mean, isn't that isn't that just the case? It really grinds on people me when people say things like, oh, yes, I'm rich because I worked hard. Like, lots of people work hard and they're not rich. Uh, you know, uh Going back to the gig economy thing, you know, I've got three jobs. I'm in three unions because I'm passionate about that. But most people aren't that passionate that they're going to join three unions to try and keep themselves covered in all three of the jobs, you know? Um,
2: now, Samantha, I do resent that. Now, um, I, I, I got where I am today with, yes, a <laughs> lot of hard work, a lot of hard work, and yes, a small hundred million inheritance from my father. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
3: But he worked hard.
2: <laughs> uh, have uh. you tried picking different
4: parents?
3: <laughs> yeah. <I> just tried <laughs> not being poor. Yes. Yeah.
4: I, I had a guy. Once tried
2: inheriting?
4: Me. I had a guy once tell me you could live off the land for free. I was like, how? He, he told me this story and he's like, well, you can just live off. You plant and you grow X, Y, Z. And then the bottom of it, he goes, you only need 50 grand or so to buy a parcel of land. Oh, yeah. Right. You're living <laughs> off the line for free then. 50 grand.
3: 50 grand. 50 grand down payment. Right, I'm going to rattle off some of the moments of the week. We did get some good moments of the week at the top of the show um, planted in the comments section. Thank you. Uh, Unity News said their story of the week was uh, a young man on Universal Credit got a self-employed job 40 miles away from his home, and Universal Credit said he had to leave the job to attend a meeting at a job centre so that they could approve the job. Uh, a similar, similar story, My uh, years ago now, somebody in my family um, got themselves on an accountancy course and were told by Universal Credit they weren't allowed to go on the accountancy course because they had to come to the Universal Credit appointment. <laughs> Uh, it's just so, so, uh, gosh, uh, mind blown. Uh Heartless. Neil Terry, yeah?
1: Heartless is the word.
3: Heartless. That's a more descriptive word than the one that was rattling around my head. Uh, Neil said his moment of the week was getting a pub- public order warning from a sergeant in Hull when he pointed out that he couldn't issue it and explained the law to him. Uh, he... Um, he he left him alone. Great, that's nice. Explain the law to police officers if you can, you're doing a public service. Uh, Ruth said uh, her moment of the week is that she had a class of year three school kids in the library and they all get to pick a book and two of them came and asked for help finding a book about refugees so they could understand better uh, what others are going through. And isn't that just... That is our hope for the future, isn't it? The young people are watching uh, and they will form their their decisions about the world based on what they say in front of them. Um, and they are listening, um, so we've got to make sure we uh, speak appropriately, especially in front of my six-year-old, who hears everything and repeats everything. In fact, Stuart, she told my mum that my boyfriend came to pick me up and took me away for the weekend. <laughs> Which was a surprise to both my mom and my husband. Yeah. Uh, and, the, <laughs> and Stuart was that boyfriend. <laughs>
4: oh, lovely. That, that's right. that's going to cause no bother whatsoever, is it? I
3: know, it's so there he is. So, thankfully, uh, it was uh, easily explained. Right. We are going to wind up thank you very much for joining us thank you for all of your wonderful comments and your insight Uh, thank you everybody on the panel for uh, being lovely and thoughtful and having done all of the research and knowing all of the things Um, (laughs) we are of course on youtube and facebook and twitch and also on whatever podcast platform you happen to have on your phone you can join socialist think tank for free and you can even buy yourself a john d Claire t-shirt from the shop if you feel so inclined <laughs> is there anything in particular you want to shout out about paul
2: um neil terry's just said um we're going to have a so are we going to have a socialist think tank meetup up with with banners held high in durham miners' garland Yes. yeah let's do that that's a good idea but uh, you know yeah you don't need to ask us just yeah. do it just let's have a socialist thing tank done made up and, uh, yeah. yeah um yeah and and um and it's been nice as well i angel of death ct87 i'm mean, gonna have a nice conversation about spanish politics in the on on twitch tonight so that was good so hello good to see you good to chat nice to have people from uh um, I don't know if you're from from Spain at the moment or in Spain at the moment, but you're a Spanish person who's uh, commenting on uh, the state of Spanish politics, which is uh, very Global. interesting. Yeah, we do. We do this all the time. So, yeah, good.
3: Brilliant. Uh, yeah. If you join Socialist Think Tank, we'll drop you in the Discord. Um, and if we are at any events that's where we will organize where we where we meet so uh, please do join that and catch up with us wherever we may be (laughs) right then we're gonna say goodbye everybody goodbye take care everyone see you soon the red flag flying here.